In March of 1944, deep in the Jim Crow South, police came for a 14-year-old George Stinney Jr. His parents weren't at home. His little sister was hiding in the family's chicken coop behind the house in Alcaloose, South Carolina, while officers handcuffed George and his older brother Johnny and took them away. Two young white girls had been found brutally murdered, beaten over the head with a railroad spike, and dumped into a ditch. The police were looking for someone to blame it on, so they used my brother as a scapegoat, said his sister Amy Ruffner. On June 16, 1944, a mere 83 days after being arrested, he was executed, becoming the youngest person in modern times to be put to death. Seventy years later, he was exonerated. Injustice comes in many forms. This is most certainly among the most upsetting. My name is Blake Mosley, and you are listening to South Carolina Spook Show. Stay tuned. Stinney Jr. was just 14 years old when he was executed in South Carolina in 1944. It took 10 minutes to convict him and 70 years to exonerate him. The youngest person in the United States to ever be put to death in the electric chair was an African-American 14-year-old named George Stinney Jr. He was executed in the Deep South in 1944 in the midst of the Jim Crow era. George Stinney Jr. lived in the segregated mill town of Alcaloose, South Carolina, where white people and black people were separated by railroad tracks. Stinney's family lived in a humble company house until they were forced to leave when the young boy was accused of killing two white girls. It took a jury of white men 10 minutes to find Stinney guilty, and it would take 70 years before Stinney was exonerated. In March of 1944, Betty June Benneker, age 11, and Mary Emma Thames, 7, were riding their bicycles in Alkaloo looking for flowers. When they saw Stenny and his younger sister Amy during their journey, they stopped and asked if they knew where to find Maypops, the yellow edible fruit of passion flowers. That was reportedly the last time that the girls were seen alive. Benneker and Thames, who were white, never made it home that day. Their disappearance prompted hundreds of Alkaloo residents, including Stenny's father, to come together and search for the missing girls. It wasn't until the next day when their bodies were discovered in a soggy ditch. When Dr. Asbury Cecil Bozard examined their bodies, there was no clear sign of a struggle, but both girls had met violent deaths involving multiple head injuries. Thames had a hole boring straight through her forehead into her skull, along with a two-inch long cut above her right eyebrow. Meanwhile, Benneker had suffered at least seven blows to the head. It was later noted that the back of her skull was, quote, nothing but a mass of crushed bones. Bozard concluded that Benneker and Thames had wounds that were likely caused by a round instrument about the size of the head of a hammer. 
A rumor floated around town that the girls had made a stop at a prominent white family's home on the same day of their murder, but this was never confirmed. And police certainly didn't seem to be looking for a white killer. When Clarendon County law enforcement officers learned from a witness that Benneker and Thames were seen talking to Stinney, they went to his home. There, George Stinney Jr. was promptly handcuffed and interrogated for hours in a small room without his parents, an attorney, or any witnesses. Police claim that Stinney confessed to murdering Benneker and Thames after his plans to have sex with one of the girls had failed. An officer named H.S. Newman wrote in a handwritten statement, quote, I arrested a boy by the name of George Stinney. He then made a confession and told me where to find a piece of iron about 15 inches long. He said he put it in a ditch about six feet from the bicycle. Newman refused to reveal where Stinney was detained as rumors of lynching spread throughout the town. Not even his parents knew where he was as his trial quickly approached. At the time, 14 was considered the age of responsibility, and Sinny was believed to be responsible for murder. About a month after the girls' deaths, George Stinney Jr.'s trial began at the Clarendon County Courthouse. Court-appointed attorney Charles Plowden did little to nothing to defend his client. During the two-hour trial, Plowden failed to call witnesses to the stand or present any evidence that would cast doubt on the prosecution's case. The most significant piece of evidence presented against Stinney was his alleged confession, but there was no written record of the teen admitting to the murders. By the time of his trial, Stinney hadn't seen his parents in weeks, and they were too afraid of getting attacked by a white mob to come to the courthouse, so the 14-year-old was surrounded by strangers, up to 1,500 of them. Following a deliberation that took less than 10 minutes, the all-white jury found Stenny guilty of murder with no recommendation for mercy. On April 24, 1944, the teen was sentenced to die by electrocution. George Stenny Jr.'s execution was not without protest. In South Carolina, organizers for both white and black ministerial unions petitioned Governor Olin Johnston to grant Stenny clemency based on his young age. Meanwhile, hundreds of letters and telegrams poured into the governor's office, begging him to show mercy to Stinney. Stinney's supporters appealed with everything from the basic idea of fairness to the concept of Christian justice. But in the end, none of it was enough to save Stinney. On June 16, 1944, George Stinney Jr. walked into the execution chamber at the South Carolina State Penitentiary in Columbia with a Bible tucked under his arm. That Bible would later be used as a booster seat. Weighing in at just about 95 pounds, he was dressed in a loose-fitting striped jumpsuit. Strapped into an adult-sized electric chair, he was so small that the state electrician struggled to adjust an electrode to his right leg. A mask that was too big for him was placed over his face. An assistant captain asked Stanny if he had any last words. Stanny replied, no sir. The prison doctor prodded, You don't want to say anything about what you did? And again, Stanny replied, No, sir. When officials turned on the switch, 2,400 volts surged through Stanny's body, causing the mask to slip off. His eyes were wide and teary, and saliva was emanating from his mouth for all the witnesses in the room to see. After two more jolts of electricity, it was over. Stinney was pronounced dead shortly thereafter. In a span of just 83 days, the boy had been charged with murder, tried, 
convicted, and executed by the state. George Sidney's murder conviction was thrown out, though, in 2014. His siblings claimed that his confession was coerced and that he had an alibi. At the time of the murders, he was with his sister Amy watching the family's cow. They also noted that a man named Wilford Johnny Hunter, who claimed to be Stinney's cellmate, said that Stinney denied murdering Benneker and Thames. Hunter claims that Stinney told him, Johnny, I didn't do it. I promise, I didn't do it. Why would they kill me for something that I didn't do? After months of consideration, on December 17, 2014, Judge Carmen T. Mullen vacated Stinney's murder conviction, calling the death sentence a great and fundamental injustice. George Stinney Jr.'s siblings were overjoyed to learn that their brother was exonerated after 70 years, appreciating that they were able to live long enough to see it happen. It was like a cloud just moved away, said Stinney's sister, Catherine Robinson. When we got the news, we were sitting with friends. I threw my hands up and said, thank you, Jesus. Someone had to be listening. It's what we wanted for all these years. Hey everybody, thank you again for checking out this episode of South Carolina Spook Show uh, and for all the other episodes that you guys have checked out. I am now over, well over 2,100 plays um, in just eight episodes, so thank you so much um, for all of your continued support. And uh, if you know somebody that you can share this podcast with that enjoys paranormal and true crime stories and you guys are from South Carolina, please let them know. I'm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Cast, CastBox, Stitcher, and Radio Public. So if you guys are familiar with any of those other platforms or you know someone who is, let them know. I'm on there. Uh, Anywhere that you can leave me a rating and review, I really would appreciate you doing that. Also, just like this review that I got here uh, from BW uh, on on Apple Podcast, uh, it says, enjoyed this. Gave me five stars. Thank you so much. Uh, Can you do one about the Hound of Goshen? Goshen? I could be pronouncing that wrong or something from Union County, uh, please and thank you. I will work on that. I will look it up, and I'll be sure that I pronounce that correctly because um, I'm pretty sure I butchered it just now. So, uh, But, yeah, thank you again. Anybody else that can leave me a rating and review, I really appreciate it because it helps me get noticed, and then I can make this grow a little bit and turn it into more and instead of just a little project uh, whenever I get some free time, which is very, uh, very little now. So you can follow the show on social media. It's uh, Facebook and Instagram is both at South Carolina Spook Show. I'm also on Twitter. It's at SC Spook Show. And if you want to follow me personally, I'm on Instagram and Twitter at at Blake underscore Mosley. And I'm also on TikTok. It's at Blake Brosley. And if you want to watch me play drums, I have a YouTube channel um, and just post videos from songs that I play at church. That's youtube.com slash Mosley with three Y's. Um, and if you have your, any of your own personal stories or episode suggestions, let me know. Send them to me, any of those social media platforms, or you can email me. It's scspookshow at gmail.com, or you can shoot me a message again on any of those social media sites, and I'll be sure to include it in an episode coming up. If you don't mind checking out my other podcast, it's called When Words Fail, Music Speaks. I do that with my buddy James Cox. It's all about music and battling depression. 
um, and the healing power of music. So check that out. Again, we're available on all of those podcast platforms and we are on YouTube. So check it out. Sources from this episode come from allthatsinteresting.com, the Washington Post, and WLTX.com. I am your creator and host, Blake Mosley, and this is South Carolina Spook Show. Y'all stay spooky.